You're listening to TIP. In today's episode, I chat with Grant Norwood to talk about the oil and gas industry and why investors should consider this potentially lucrative space. Grant is the president of Norwood Energy Corporation, a Texas-based oil and gas exploration company. Oil and gas is another one of those industries that doesn't exactly come as top of mind to most investors, especially most of us millennial investors. However, it is a space that has seen advancements in the last few years, and Grant has been at the forefront of those changes. Even as there are risks involved, it can be lucrative given the right strategy, and I'm happy to have Grant today to give us a look into this. So without further delay, let's get into this week's episode with Grant Norwood. You're listening to Millennial Investing by the Investors Podcast Network, where your host, Robert Leonard, interviews successful entrepreneurs, business leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire the millennial generation. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Millennial Investing Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Robert Leonard. And with me today, I have Grant Norwood. Welcome to the show, Grant. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it, Robert. I'm excited for the show today since we're going to be talking about a topic that I'm not really an expert in by any means. So it should be a great learning experience for me as well as the audience. But before we dive into the topics of today's show, tell us a bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today. So obviously, I'm in the oil business. I put together drilling projects. I help mineral owners sell their mineral interests to bigger companies and get the most money they possibly can for it. I had some mentors earlier on in life. I had a ranch out in West Texas that my family, well, it was their ranch, but I grew up out there and I got to be around oil people because they always wanted to lease it from us to hunt on. So I got to know them and I made some contacts early on. And then as I grew up and tried to figure out what I was going to do with my life, I referred back to those contacts and they brought me in, mentored me. And I got to learn a lot of things at an early age that I think helped me get to where I am a lot quicker. So I've tried to take advantage of that as much as I can. And I credit a lot of my success to the people that helped me get here. How and why is the oil and gas industry so lucrative, yet so inaccessible to everyday investors? So that's a great question. I guess it's lucrative because 91% of our transportation is still powered by petroleum products, 5% biofuels, and you wouldn't have biofuels without petroleum products. So I still, in a roundabout way, would make that 96%. Those couple of percentage points that are made up by electric when it comes to transportation, it's still 40% powered by natural gas, which is still a petroleum product. So it's, it's lucrative because it's relevant because we need it. And why is it inaccessible? Well, I guess you could get on Google and search, how do I invest in oil and gas? And a bunch of stuff's going to pop up. But I don't recommend doing business with those companies. They're what I would refer to as promoter. And I guess by all intents and purposes, I can't really say I'm not, but I'm not the typical promoter where I've got a maximum of 12% markup in my projects if somebody wants to get in on something that I directly generated. Most of the time, you're going to be paying 200% of the cost for 75% of the interest. That's just the way it is out there. So it's inaccessible to good deals. It's not like it's inaccessible altogether, but you know, you want to get with somebody that's got your best interest at heart. And to find that is rare. How can an everyday investor like myself and those listening to the show today start investing in the oil and gas industry outside of just investing in the publicly traded equities that we're familiar with? Well, I guess we would have to cross paths somewhere or another. And I guess this is how we cross paths. But 
indicate some interest, then I would get you some information. And if you could make sense of the information, then you could jump right in. If you couldn't, then either myself or a member of my team is going to walk you through it till you feel comfortable enough to make an educated decision. And if you think it's a fit, we'd be glad to have somebody like you or anyone else that wants to go down that road with us. And so what exactly is it that we're investing in? So it's actual wells. To make it short and sweet, we drill a hole in the ground and we drill in areas that are known to produce oil and it goes much deeper than that. Geology is super complicated. And I've got it broken down and put into models and things that you know your everyday guy could understand, but you actually own interest in the wells. So if you own 5% interest, 5% profit goes to you. If you own 10%, 10% goes to you. So that is actually what you're investing in. And now there's wells of all different sorts. There's shallow wells, there's deep wells, there's vertical wells, there's horizontal wells that have to be fracked. There's old wells that you want to go back into and you feel like, hey, on the way down, they passed a better zone than the one they went down and produced from. So we're going to go back up the hole and perforate somewhere along the way down where we feel like there's more oil. There's, so there's all sorts of wells. So that is what exactly you would be investing in. And so to invest in a project like this, are you investing in an individual project? You're investing in a specific business? Do you form a new entity for every well? Or how does that structure work? So we form a new entity for every project. A project can be one well, a project can be two wells. My current project is 10 wells. So yeah, we created an entity, it's direct participation. So we act as a general partner, you act as the limited partner. I guess if I did a really bad job, y'all could all get together and vote me out, but I'd try to make sure that that wouldn't happen because we really try to do the best job we can. The reason we're doing multiple wells is it cuts down on the risk. The wells we drill, we've got about a 95% success rate as an industry. So our company has, we're at 100% success rate. So the last five wells we've drilled have all turned out really well. So we are drilling 10 wells and those 10 wells are held in an LLC. It's called direct participation. It's an easy term to Google. You can learn all about it. You directly own an interest in the assets and in the entity and you have rights to the tax benefits, you have rights to the revenue, you actually own that asset. But what it allows us to do is act as the general partner, meaning that we oversee the day-to-day operations and you as a limited partner just benefit the revenue. So what's good about this is you can invest and basically own a piece of a business, but it's hands-free. So the only work involved for you is writing the check, filling out the paperwork, sending it off, sitting back, reading the emails, dates, logging into the portal, keeping track of it from time to time. You can do it every day. You can do it once a month. You can just wait for me to call you and make sure you're still alive. But beyond that, all you have to do is walk to your mailbox, pick up your check and carry it to the bank. So that's the benefit to the direct participation structure is we do all the work and you sit back and just collect checks. So it's really interesting to hear this parallel because I host two podcasts. One is all about real estate investing. And often on there, we talk about syndications in real estate where you buy large apartment buildings and there's the same structure. You have your GPs and your LPs. And oftentimes we talk about being each one, being the GP or being the LP. But it sounds like this is very, very similar, except for investing in a, an apartment building that produces cash flow. You're investing in a, a well that produces cash flow and you're essentially still getting that same mailbox money. So it's really interesting to draw the parallels between two different assets that are still essentially doing the same thing. Yeah, it's along the same lines. I mean, our target rates of return are just far above. It carries a little bit more risk, I'd say, than an apartment building, but the apartment building's still depreciating, just like the well's still depleting. 
So, I mean, you're going to have our leases appreciate the same way you would have the real estate appreciate. But what you make from month to month, you know, you're talking about a return annually that we could probably beat monthly when everything's going well. So are you actually doing the well drilling yourself or are you subbing out that work to another company? Is that what we're investing in? So it's going to be a mix between the two. Sometimes we do it ourselves. Sometimes we'll partner up with a company that we feel like can do a better job than us. So a lot of times it will be ourselves because they do not want to always share in the opportunity at cost. And what you get with us that you won't get in other places is more interest for less money. Now there's set costs for drilling and there's set costs for operating. And you want to be as close to the true cost of the project as possible because ultimately the more your basis is and the lower your interest is, low basis, higher return, high basis, lower return. So yeah, whenever it makes sense, we will partner up with somebody. But like I said, a lot of times if the deal is economic, they charge an arm and a leg for it. So I would say most of the time we do it ourselves. So it almost sounds like to me like you're a GC or a general contractor for a construction project, but you raise money for every single project rather than generating revenue by building something for another party, like building a house for somebody or building a, a warehouse for a company, whatever that may be. But instead, you're creating or building an asset, a, a well, and raising money to do that. That is correct. Currently, earlier on, we pursued smaller opportunities and we funded it completely internally. Before I was incorporated, I funded it myself. And many times I've been an investor in the past and it took investing with different companies to kind of really learn what to do and what not to do. So I would say in a way, it's kind of the same thing. We put the money together, we go drill the well. And the goal is to profitably produce American energy. But for a long time, we did not accept outside funds. It's just a capital intensive business and you'll always have more opportunity than you do money. So it just depends on how big you want to go. So how does investing passively in a deal like this differ from buying just buying easily a publicly traded oil and gas company like ExxonMobil or Chevron? So to compare buying equity in ExxonMobil and Chevron to buying interest in a project such as mine or one similar is you directly own interest in assets versus just equity in a company that has similar assets. So while we're in the same business, you're just taking part in two different things. So this is to create cash flow. That would be to buy equities that you hope to sell for a higher price at a later date and maybe collect some dividends along the way, but those dividends are usually minuscule. Buy low, sell high on a stock, you probably do all right, but you're also open to any kind of financial trouble that happens to that company and falls out of favor with investors and the price goes down, then you lose your money. So I guess the thing is you're directly owning an asset that cash flows that's liquid because it cash flows. So you have a way out and that cash flow has value. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Hey everyone, it's Patrick, your host of Millennial Investing. Every year, my buddies and I do a guy's trip to escape the cold and dreary Ohio winters. Once we pick our destination, without fail, we all jump on Airbnb and find an incredible place to stay. We just got back from an amazing trip in Palm Springs, California, and our Airbnb home was a huge part of creating memories we'll never forget. I loved it so much, I'm taking my family back to Palm Springs for spring break, and we're staying in an Airbnb home my kids fell in love with and picked out themselves. 
While I was there, I had the realization that my own home could be an Airbnb. It's an excellent way to earn some extra cash, whether you're saving up for your next vacation, paying off some bills, or investing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's airbnb.com slash host. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com slash millennial investing. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com slash flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Today's show is sponsored by public.com. That's where you can earn 5.1% APY with a high yield cash account. While we can't say for certain it's the highest interest rate out there, we can say this. It's a higher rate than Robinhood, a higher rate than SoFi, a higher rate than Marcus, a higher rate than Wealthfront, a higher rate than Betterment, frankly, a higher rate than Capital One, a higher rate than Ally, a higher rate than Barclays, a way higher rate than Bank of America and Chase, a higher rate than Citi, Wells Fargo, Discover, and it's a higher rate than American Express too. So if you want to start earning 5.1% APY on your cash, check out public.com. We can't say it's the highest interest rate, but it's pretty damn up there. This is a paid endorsement for public investing, 5.1% APY as of March 26, 2024, and is subject to change. A high-yield cash account is a secondary brokerage account with public investing member of FINRA-SIPC. Funds from this account are automatically deposited into a partner bank where they can earn a variable interest and are eligible for FDIC insurance. Neither public investing nor any of its affiliates is a bank. U.S. only. Learn more at public.com slash disclosures slash high-yield-account. All right, back to the show. You mentioned that in your projects, you earn, you can earn up to a monthly return that is higher than even most people's annual return. So what are you seeing for passive investors' returns generally in these types of projects? So I said that in reference to real estate investing. So you get into a real estate project, I've seen where guys have returned as low as 1% or 2% annually. I've seen where they've returned as high as 15 16 or 17% annually. We hit a well in November and it returned 100% in three months and 12 days. So that's a company record for us. I hope we break that record soon. We also, we just turned on a well June 15th. The first two weeks that well was online, it returned 7.6%. Of the investment. And then, you know, for the month of July, it returned north of 15%, just barely north, but it was north. So, what I'm saying is when you consider it a win to reach a 10% return on real estate, maybe it appreciates three, 4%. We've done that in months and quite a bit more on certain occasions. With returns that can be so strong, why aren't more people doing this? Why isn't this strategy more broadly adopted? Most of the time, companies are charging 100% markup. And they're only letting you get 75% of the interest after they tax 100% markup. And to me, that's what you call a bad actor. The industry's full of them, and it's, it's a shame that it is. But it's not often that companies are able to do this. And I feel like what we're doing for our direct participation programs and just the area that we're drilling in is we're going to start 
getting a lot of attention because of the wells that we're hitting. And because we're making returns today, and I think the price of oil today is around $36.30. I mean, the kind of returns that we're generating right now, companies can't do that at $70, $80 a barrel. So I guess since other people just can't do it, they're struggling just to stay alive right now. So I mean, typically in West Texas, Oklahoma, North Dakota, those guys need about $40, $45 a barrel to break even. We just fell below that point. And if we stay there for another three, four weeks, you're going to see them shut wells in because they can't run them at a loss month after month. And with the amount of debt they're all carrying, I don't think that they can do it really very long at all. They're already underwater so much that if they can't create cash flow, they can't create a bigger deficit than they already have. And so for somebody to invest in this type of deal, do they need to be an accredited investor? They do. Now, there are certain types of projects where they don't, if they buy the asset outright, or if they want to buy it where we issue it to them, but then they're liable for the liabilities involved and they don't want to be held under the LLC, then yeah, they could purchase interest not being accredited and directly own it. But for direct participation, yes, you do have to be accredited. So I would say, you know, if you don't have a liquid net worth of over a million dollars or you haven't made $200,000 a year in the last three years consecutively, then maybe one day we'll be able to have this conversation and bring in on something and you'll be satisfied with the results. But if you are an accredited individual and you do have investment capital, this is something worth considering. Put your money to work, diversify your portfolio. You don't have to come in guns a-blazing. You can start out with a minimum position, $10,000, $20,000. Most of my guys are fifty, hundred thousand and up. But it's accessible to someone that does not want to just dive in the pool, but wants to dip a toe in. Are the increasing green initiatives and the transition to renewable energy a major risk for the traditional oil and gas industry and their underlying companies? And what are these companies doing to prepare for this change? You have some companies that are buying in to that idea, and then you have companies that aren't. Like I said earlier, 91% of transportation is powered by petroleum products all across the board. And then 5% that's made up for biofuels that also took petroleum products to create all the way from the planting to fertilizing to harvesting of the corn and other things that they use to create those biofuels all the way to the blending into actual petroleum products. No one can run off of solely biofuels alone. And then the few percent that electric does make up is still powered by 40% natural gas. And that number is even growing. So as they retire more coal plants, as they decide whether or not they're going to retire more nuclear plants, it's not getting replaced so much by wind and solar. It's getting replaced by natural gas. And I think a good thing for people that are concerned with that is I think Bloomberg, it was about a month ago, published a statement that Governor Newsom in California put out saying, you know, we might need to sober up on this green initiative. They've had rolling blackouts in parts of California. And I read another article today that they're expecting to have more. It's been a hot summer. And as the sun's going down, air conditioners are still running. So they couldn't support the grid. They retired too many different fossil fuel generated power plants. So whether it's natural gas, coal, or whatever have you that they had to retire in order to make room for this new green thing, it didn't hold the test. They put it to the test and it failed. And I don't know if that's just because we had a really hot summer over there or you know, if that's just a sign of things to come. But when they're at their peak hours, they don't have a way to store the surplus energy that they're creating. And until they get that figured out, I don't think that we're going to change anytime soon. So if they had it figured out, maybe 20, 30 years from now, 
there'd be a real threat to the industry, but they're still a long way off. So for now in the foreseeable future, I don't see any threats. My mentors, I always talk about my mentors. They're great people. When they were my age, I'm relatively young. When they were my age, the big threat was nuclear. Nuclear, oh, it's going to replace everything. That's, this is, it's renewable. It doesn't create pollution. It's, it's the best thing since a slice of bread. Oil and gas is doomed. Well, then you had Chernobyl and a couple other instances where people were like, hey, we should incorporate that, but maybe it's not the, um, the saving grace we were hoping for. So that was the thing that stood to challenge oil and gas in their day. This is the thing that stands to challenge oil and gas today. But I think overall, we're going to need an all-in energy strategy. There's a lot of third world countries trying to catch up with the world. A third of the world has no power at all. Another third of the world has power, but not enough. And then there's our third of the world that has all the power they need. So as these other countries and parts of the globe start catching up with the world, they're not going to turn to high cost renewables. They're going to go for the cheapest avenue possible. And hands down, this is by far the cheapest. Since June of 2014, when oil was about $115 a barrel or so, we've seen the price of a barrel of oil drop between $40 and $60 with a low of $19 as recently as of April 2020. How did these depressed oil prices impact oil companies? How does it impact the investments that you're making? So I'll start with other oil companies. I would say that most of them that set out to put a project in motion when prices were $115 a barrel, the last thing they were thinking about was 40 and then yet $19 a barrel when they set out to do it. So there's been quite a few bankruptcies this year as a result. And you know, if you can't make money at $40 a barrel and far below that, then you're going to be in trouble. So I just don't think they considered the reality that was to come when you have high prices like that. Everybody wants to drill. Almost every project's economic. Things are good. People are making a lot of money. So not only do they take on extra costs when they go into a project, not only do they give off big bonuses, pay fat salaries all across the board, but they think it'll never end. And then you've got the guys that are what I'd call promoters that fall in love with the idea of oil and gas and they put a company together and they couldn't tell you the first thing about geology. They've never been on a rig floor. They don't know much about the financials. They just know that, hey, this guy sold me a piece of a deal and I can go sell it to the next guy for a lot more money because everyone sees the prices at the pump. They see the prices per barrel, per MCF. They're going, oh, wow, this is a great way to make money. So then they jump into stuff and a lot of things get drilled that never should. And a lot of people get involved in the industry that never should. And prices like these, it's like a cleansing. It cleans up a lot of those bad actors and it makes people realize they should have been more prudent. So, I mean, us personally, if oil's at $12 a barrel, we are turning a profit at $18 a barrel, we return 100% of the investment and then returns get pretty good north of 30. So we're talking about low prices, but people listening to the show may have even heard the term or the quote, negative oil prices on other major financial media outlets. What does this mean? And how can oil have a negative price? It was more of a technical mishap with futures contracts expiring. You had traders going, okay, well, I'm going to have to take delivery of this. There's nobody to buy this from me. I'm going to have to actually pay somebody to take it off my hands because I know where to store it. I don't want to take delivery of this physical product. So what are we going to do? And for less than 24 hours, you saw the price of oil go negative. But I don't know if that'll happen again. I doubt it'll happen again. If it does, it won't be for very long. No matter what, we were still using 75 million barrels at the 
bare bottom per day. And that was with all the planes landed, most people sitting at home on the couch. That just shows you how transportation makes a big difference in demand, but it's not the only thing that we use hydrocarbons for. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Hey everyone, it's Patrick, your host of Millennial Investing. Every year, my buddies and I do a guy's trip to escape the cold and dreary Ohio winters. Once we pick our destination, without fail, we all jump on Airbnb and find an incredible place to stay. We just got back from an amazing trip in Palm Springs, California, and our Airbnb home was a huge part of creating memories we'll never forget. I loved it so much, I'm taking my family back to Palm Springs for spring break, and we're staying in an Airbnb home my kids fell in love with and picked out themselves. While I was there, I had the realization that my own home could be an Airbnb. It's an excellent way to earn some extra cash whether you're saving up for your next vacation, paying off some bills, or investing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's airbnb.com slash host. Today's show is sponsored by public.com. That's where you can earn 5.1% APY with a high-yield cash account. While we can't say for certain it's the highest interest rate out there, we can say this. It's a higher rate than Robinhood, a higher rate than SoFi, a higher rate than Marcus, a higher rate than Wealthfront, a higher rate than Betterment, frankly, a higher rate than Capital One, a higher rate than Ally, a higher rate than Barclays, a way higher rate than Bank of America and Chase, a higher rate than Citi, Wells Fargo, Discover, and it's a higher rate than American Express too. So if you want to start earning 5.1% APY on your cash, check out public.com. We can't say it's the highest interest rate, but it's pretty damn up there. This is a paid endorsement for public investing, 5.1% in APY as of March 26, 2024, and is subject to change. A high-yield cash account is a secondary brokerage account with public investing member of FINRA-SIPC. Funds from this account are automatically deposited into a partner bank where they can earn a variable interest and are eligible for FDIC insurance. Neither public investing nor any of its affiliates is a bank. U.S. only. Learn more at public.com slash disclosures slash high-yield-account. Hey guys, when it comes to financial advice, you've got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever credit card was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? lounge access, a free flight to a bucket list destination, wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and much more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. Check out nerdwallet.com and start making smarter financial decisions. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. All right, back to the show. So we've talked about how the prices of oil have come down so much. And you've even talked about how you'll still be profitable at much lower prices than even today. And I find that really interesting because I would assume... And like I said at the top of the show, I'm not an oil and gas expert by any means. But I would assume that a very well-capitalized, financially stable, publicly traded company who can tap the public markets for more capital if they need it, would be able to do this at a higher scale, more efficient than, than a small company like yourself. So how are you able to be profitable at such a low price for oil when a large publicly traded conglomerate can't? It's really about location. And usually if someone's talking about location, 
in the oil industry, they're talking about West Texas, Oklahoma, North Dakota, Louisiana. But you know, those areas, you can make a lot of oil, but they also make a lot of water and water is very costly to dispose of. So that eats into your margins greatly. So if you're producing, let's say 300 barrels of oil and 400 barrels of water, well, you got to truck that water distances that run you about $5 a barrel and you're making more water than you are oil, then you've got to pay $2 a barrel to dispose of it. Well, there's $6 a barrel and you're making more water than you are making oil. And let's just say average pumper, which goes by and checks out the well every day, he's going to run more money in these popular areas. Service work's going to run more money in these popular areas. Royalties are a big thing that people have to consider. So where we're drilling, we pay landowners a 15% royalty on every barrel that we take out of the ground. So we sell a barrel for $50 they get a 15% royalty. And West Texas, these popular areas, they're paying a 25% royalty. I've even seen it as bad as 30. So you're shouldering 100% of the cost for the well. You're shouldering 100% of the cost to produce the well, but you're only taking home 75. And in crazy cases, 70% of the revenue after covering all those expenses, it eats into your margins. When we go into a project, we're very agnostic when it comes to where we drill. We're just worried about what it costs to get it out of the ground. So our well cost is about 10 cents on the dollar for not the exact same well, but targeting the same kind of formations. And what I'm speaking about is horizontal drilling and hydraulic fracturing. So they're spending anywhere between 8 and $15 million to drill these wells out in West Texas. And they're only making about two and a half to three times the amount of production we're making. But they're also spending a lot of money hauling water they're spending a lot of money paying royalty owners. And we, while we have those costs, they're just minuscule compared to what they're paying. So like I said, $11, we're breaking even on returning a profit. And $20, that's when we pass the 100% rate of return. So $30, it gets interesting. Should we see 50 or $60 again? Like I said, our company records, three months and 12 days. But a hot spot to us isn't just drilling right next to EOG resources or Pioneer or having drilled on a lease where several million barrels have been produced because they might have had $115 oil price when they produced those barrels. So more oil will get produced on leases than not whenever prices are that high. So like I said, we plan for times like these because we put our own money into these projects. They're dealing with public capital. They're borrowing to drill their wells. I got started in this industry with all my own capital. So I know how it feels to invest in something and it's great at 50, 60, $70 a barrel. And then you wake up the next morning and it's $40 a barrel and you're going, oh, I thought I shelled out everything I needed to for this project. Now they're sending me a bill instead of a revenue check. What is this? So I designed it around what happens when prices go low. Because trust me, it'd be a lot easier if when I picked up the phone and said, hey, Robert, you know, we're drilling well out in West Texas. Pioneer's drilling next to us. EOG's drilling next to us. Man, they're making so much oil out here. It's going to be great. It'd be so much easier to convince you of that when I can show you those big companies out there. But I'm not. And I'll, if we talk after the show, I'll show you I'm not. Just because it makes more sense with your own money to do that. And a lot of them are just trying to drive up share prices by saying they're producing 1,000 barrel a day well, 1,200 barrel a day well, 1,500 barrel a day well. But they're not telling you that they're not producing it profitably. So I guess that's how we've come to a lot of our conclusions. I guess one of the most interesting things that I found out of what you just said is how are you able to negotiate such a smaller royalty than a big conglomerate? 
it would seem that they'd have more bargaining power and could go to somebody and negotiate a much lower royalty rate than somebody small like yourself. So how is that possible? Well, like I said, we're agnostic when it comes to location. So if we're not worried about being in the hot spots where everybody's hot to trot about because of high production rates at no matter the cost, there's less competition in the areas we go into. So we can put an entire 640 acre drilling unit together for the price or actually less than the price of one acre out of the 640 acres needed in West Texas. Right now, the A&D market's kind of depressed, but you still saw Noble get acquired by Chevron a couple of weeks ago. And I need to check the figures and see what they paid per acre. But about 18 months ago, that you could just open any oil and gas publication and see the price of land out in West Texas to drill on, trading hands for anywhere between 25, 35, 50, back it up about two years. And you saw several hundred thousand plus dollar an acre transactions happen. And where we are, people know there's oil out there. There's been drilling for generations, but they're happy to have us. We've got a good reputation where we are. So it's not in as high a demand. So they're happy to have us. They'd rather us drill on their property than their neighbors. So they're they're willing to take what we're willing to give them. And we're fair with them. 15%, we cover 100% of the cost. They don't have to, and their 15% comes off the top. It's not after we pay our expenses to operate the well. So position the royalty owner in is great. And if there's not a lot of competition out there and they don't lease to us and give us preferable terms, then they stand to not get a well drilled on them at all. In West Texas, people will pay just about any price for those leases and under just about any terms. And so many of these companies are hurting because they spent all this money on acreage that they can't even afford to go and drill. So they were able to borrow the money for the acreage. Prices turned the way they turned. And now they can't go suck off the teat a little bit more to get enough money to actually drill a well. And if they can't do it within the first three years, then their lease expires and they have nothing. So it's, it's unfortunate what's happened out there. Just so much money has been given to these companies. And Chesapeake's a great example. So at one time, they had over 10 million acres under lease and quite a few rigs running. But they had so much acreage under lease, they couldn't possibly drill it all before the leases expired. So where they borrowed all this money because their CEO at the time, Aubrey McClendon, he never found an area he didn't like. He heard there's oil there. He thought had even the slightest hunch he was going to lease that property. And they didn't have the bandwidth to get out there and drill all the acreage. And then a lot of the acreage they picked up, they really didn't think too hard about. They didn't evaluate it well enough. Natural gas went from $10 an MCF down to $4 an MCF and then on down to three. And then where it sits right now, $2.40. So they you know, bought it without the thought in their head that, hey, these prices today might not last. So like I said, it was they could have been a little bit more frugal and a little bit more choosy. Grant, thanks so much for coming on the show today. I found this topic super interesting. It's not one that I've really studied a lot or really even given much thought. So I found it really interesting. And I think a lot of the audience is going to be in a similar position. I think they're going to find it really interesting as well and probably haven't thought about it much before. So thank you for coming on, sharing all your knowledge. For those listening today that want to dive into these topics a little bit more, what resources might they look for and where can they connect with you further? I would say the Oil and Gas Investor is a great magazine. It's called the Oil and Gas Investor, but really it's just an industry publication. There's a lot of great information in there. It keeps you up to date on current events within the industry, exciting new areas, kind of like the one I have. I'm sure we'll be in it before too long. We're actually trying to keep the cat in the bag as long as we can so we can pick up more acreage under favorable terms. But there's going to come a point in time where the talk at the coffee shops is loud enough that 
everyone realizes what we have on our hands and rushes out here. And you'll be seeing me there. But you can go to my website, norwoodenergycorp.com. Fill out the little thing if you want to get some information directly from me or one of my team members. Office line's listed. You can leave a message if no one picks up, but they're probably going to answer. Ask for me. I'll be happy to speak with you. There's a lot of different good sources. There's Oil and Gas Journal. There's actually a really fun show. So it's purely entertainment. There's some accuracy to it, but I wouldn't go by anything and make any decisions based on what you watch on that show. But Backyard Oil, it's kind of a lot of fun. It's kind of like Pickers or Pond Stars. I mean, it's about the same quality and speed as those two shows, but it's a lot of fun. If you want something a little bit more technical, and I I bought these shows both off Amazon, another one's Boomtowners. So that's more of like day-to-day field things that we go through a lot of the same things that they do on that show. But like I said, Backyard Oil is just for entertainment. Boomtowners is a little bit more technical, but still far below anything you'll get if you come to me directly. So you know, if you have interest or you know, you want something to diversify your portfolio or just juice up your returns. If you're investing in real estate and you're getting 10% per annum, take a fraction of what you have in real estate and let me show you what I can do with it. It'll probably top that with just a fraction of it. Well, Grant, thanks so much for providing that list of resources. I'll put a link to all of those in the show notes so you guys can go check those out, whether to be more technical and learn about it, or if you want just some entertainment to learn more about this industry as well. I think that's a cool dynamic and and different set of resources that we can go and and use to learn from. So Grant, thank you so much for that. And if you're interested, be sure to reach out to Grant directly on his website. He was very generous to offer his phone number and also to speak with you guys directly. So if you want to take advantage of that opportunity, I highly recommend it. It's not always that you get the opportunity to speak directly with the guests. So take advantage of that if you have a chance and, and are extroverted enough to make that phone call. Grant, thanks so much for coming on the show. Of course, Robert. Thanks for having me. All right, guys. That's all I had for this week's episode of Millennial Investing. I'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening to TIP. To access our show notes, courses, or forums, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the Investors Podcast Network. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.